Are you humming in the bathroom right now? You caught me. The acoustics <laughs> are better in here. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Are you searching for a new job? That can be stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through the interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary, offer, or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. And on Hired, you receive personal interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about what opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. And we help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Let them know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance. And if you sign up today using the show's link, that's hired.com slash rubyrogues, you can get double the normal hiring bonus. That's $600 instead of $300. So go check them out at hired.com slash rubyrogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Dave Kimura. Hey, everybody. Brian Hogan. Hey, everyone. I've invited a special guest, and that's Eric Berry. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Now, I'm going to give a brief introduction to Eric. Eric, right after I got started podcasting, he turned over Teach Me to Code to me. So if you remember way back those days, and that kind of bolstered and helped build some relationships that eventually turned into this show, Ruby Rogues. Eric, do you want to give a brief introduction as to where you're at now and what you're up to? Yeah, sure. Well, as you can tell, I'm I'm definitely a a starter of careers as I have pretty much taken complete responsibility and ownership of Chuck's success. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't do anything. It's all Eric's fault. <laughs> no, no, it was all me. <laughs> no, actually, I've been really amazed and, and in awe of how far you've taken it. So great job. Um uh, I am a software engineer. I've been working in, I've been working in programming since '98. Yeah, about '98. And I am most recently working at Scipio, Scipio.com. And I have been a Ruby and Rails developer for I think nine years now, since since '08. Um, yeah, so that's me. Awesome. We also have a special guest, and that's Penn. He's the guy that works on the Ruby plugin for Visual Studio Code. Penn, do you want to say hi? Hey, everyone. Uh, do you want to give us a brief introduction as to uh, where you're at and what you do? Oh, sure. Uh, my name is Penn Liu. I'm a software engineer on the Visual Studio Code team on Redmond, and I'm also maintaining quite a few VS Code extensions. And one of them is, the, you know, it's about enhanced Ruby language support, and it's my favorite. I'm the fifth VS Code member on DevChat shows, but I happen to be the first one on Ruby Rogues. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we've had um, Chris Diaz and Wade Anderson and Ramya Rao and a few other people from the Visual Studio Code team on JavaScript Jabber and on Adventures in Angular. So it's exciting to kind of see this come over here because I really like Visual Studio Code. Hey, thank you. 
So one thing that I'm curious about, just to kind of get this rolling, is what goes into building uh, like a language plugin or a language setup for Visual Studio Code? What do you have to do in order to make that work in the Electron setup you have there? So usually, you know, when you try to build a, an extension for VS Code, it's actually just a Node.js application. So it has nothing to do with Electron or, you know, you don't need to touch the DOM nodes, whatever. It's not like other editors like Adam, you have access to the DOM API, but we don't. So it's just a Node application. We expose an API for you. Everything is run a separate process. So that's about how to build an extension for VS Code. And then you are, yeah, you want to know how to build a, you know, a extension for a specific language, right? So there are se several categories for them. Um, the first one is like formatters and then linters or like colorization. For those of them, you can just write some, you know, plain JavaScript. But there are two categories which are pretty difficult. The first one is a debugger. So the debugger is, you know, VS Code has a you know, a set of, you know, common UI for debugging, which is language agnostic, like the, you know, the debug viewlet, you know, the toolbar for you to, you know, step in, step out, and they are language agnostic. So we exposed an API for you. So you need to write your extension, hook up your, the real debugger, like for Ruby, which is Ruby debug, you know, hook Ruby debug to VS Code. You write a um, debug adapter for them, and the last one is actually language server. You need to write a language server to provide rich, you know, language experience like bundle references, go to definition, and yes, and similar things. But for this one, you need to, you know, VS Code has a concept called language server protocol, which I can explain later. And you need to write a, you know, a your write an extension which follows the protocol and tells VS Code about the you know, the semantic information of your program and to make the experience re um, really rich. Yeah, that's about it. Um, short description. Right. So just to clarify one thing that you said, and I'm familiar with this after talking to some of the people who work on the TypeScript plugin, and that is that um, in order to get some of the nice features for the language, you actually have a Ruby process running somewhere that you talk to in order to do some of the syntax checking and things like that. Am, am I correct in that or...? Oh yeah, you have to run that in a you know a standalone process because yeah you run a Ruby process for your for to analyze your Ruby code right so you cannot run that in your you know Node.js or whatever process. You're right. So what's the goal then? What first of all, um, I, I talk to a lot of people at a lot of different companies, and Ruby usually isn't the priority. So so what makes the Visual Studio Code team in Redmond go, hey, let's write a Ruby plugin? Oh, actually, it's another story. So Ruby for VS Code, in the, you know, the extension is my ticket to the VS Code team. Oh. So it's not another way around. Yeah. So I wrote the Ruby for VS Code. I wrote the extension actually for myself. And then I joined the VS Code team. And I, but I'm still maintaining the extension as my hobby project. So, Penn, how many, how many contributors are there on the project? I, I saw that you have two of them listed, you and I can't remember who it was, but tell who all is working on this project with you. So at the beginning, it was just me. And later on, I, you know, make it, you know, I try to, you know, maintain the project in a community way. 
So there's a gentleman who's, you know, I can't, re- I can't remember his name, but his alias is HookyQR. He contributed a lot of features like formatters, linters, and some basic intelligence support to it. And then later on, we have, yeah, it's really a community. Right now, we already have 26 contributors. And, you know, it's not just of them. You know, there are a lot of others help me triaging those issues, help me answer questions on GitHub. So I think maybe around 50 to 100. Maybe wow. some of them just come once. But yeah, I, I really like it. I say Ruby community is uh, one of the best community. Everyone is so nice. What's your, if you have that many contributors, what's your process on knowing what to allow and not to allow to modify this? Because you've got, what, 200,000 plus installs on this plugin alone. How do you know what PRs to accept and how do you stay on top of that? So it's, a, it's actually a good question. You know, it's, it's really challenging. You know, even though I, you know, learned Ruby for a bit, about like one year and a half, I'm still not a professional Ruby, Rubyist. You know, I didn't Ruby at work. So for some of them, you know, first of all, I, we have a lot of test cases. So first of all, you need to make the test, test cases pass, right? That's the basic thing. Mm-hmm. The next thing is actually um, my way of reviewing code is I will download the code, you know, you know, append, you know, of, you know, suffix to the URL dot div and apply the div to my local workspace and review the code. So I, and I will play around with, I'm not just, you know, looking at this code on GitHub and then merge. No, that's not my way. I will look into every piece of code, play with it, and try to understand what's going on. Even though like some contributions like, okay, you don't support this Ruby gem package, and we add this kind of feature to support it, right? And I have no idea uh-huh. with this gem package. So I uh, go and le- learn this gem package, know how to play around with it, and then make it happen. If it works, I add it. So, but sometimes it's kind of, you know, trouble because people add a feature, it works 90% of the time. And yeah, for the rest of it, it breaks and that contributor doesn't come back and I need to fix it myself, which is kind of hard. Okay. So let me ask you, so it sounds like you are a, a extremely good maintainer and extreme, you, you're keeping the house very, very clean. How do you find time to do that? If you're if you're digging into each one of those PRs right now, there's three PRs, but there's 70 issues on the project. How, um, so how many PRs do you regularly get, and is it how much time do you think it takes to to keep that maintained? First of all, I need to say sorry to all the contributors. So since I'm working on the VS Code, you know VS Code repo, I have too many notifications, so I always <laughs> you know can't get all of, you know all. I just missed the notification from, you know, my personal repo because like every day I have maybe 200, you know, notifications from VS Code. It, it explodes my, you know, inbox or whatever, right? So my way is like, oh, maybe every weekend I will go to, you know, my repo, go through all of them. I have maybe five to six VS Code extensions out there. So I go through every one of them, checking those issues and pull requests. And I say the Ruby one is the, you know, the most difficult one. You know, it's not just look at the issue. It's not just TypeScript, right? If it's a TypeScript issue, I can go and fix it. If it's not, I have to sit down, have some tea and learn Ruby. And Ruby is fun, but it's not easy to learn and then try to fix it. So right now, it's, you know, I'm doing that pretty sl- slowly, not that fast as before. 
Oh, well, it's so, it's so much appreciated. And, and speaking as a, a consumer of this, I got to I got to thank you. Your code impacts people's daily, daily work in their lives. And and I think that it often goes unsung. So speaking for myself and others who are using it, we really appreciate it. And especially because you're maintaining this, just uh, you're the core maintainer. We really do appreciate it. Oh, that thank being you. said, that being said, now I got a bone to pick with you. <laughs> Not really, but yeah, so, that's life. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I've bounced around on so many editors. I'm kind of an an editor. To what what's the word? I, I I'm, commitment I, issues. To I have commitment issues, right? <laughs> but not really. So I do I do commit, but I commit language based, right? So for example, if I'm writing JavaScript, I immediately open up VS Code. If I'm writing Ruby, I typically go to Sublime Text, and sometimes I use Ruby Mine if I'm feeling super lazy. So the thing that I'd love to do is just use VS Code for everything. And now it, it's it, it's been coming along really well. Now I got to bring up one thing, which I know it's a hard problem to solve or it would have been solved already. The indentation issue when you do a block. So if you say def foo enter end and you type end, it doesn't uh reverse indent the end it stays out and so now every time i'm coding i'm i have to like arrow every single time i create a method every time i do anything i'm having to move that end back to spaces can you talk about that problem and and why it's why it's complicated so after i explain this issue i think you are say you you love me so <laughs> the thing is you know the first time when 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 Charles when Chuck you know sent me the invitation to Ruby Rose, I didn't you know ISVP immediately. The reason for that it was you know two months ago. The reason for that is I was working on the last missing feature for Ruby fans, which is auto indentation. So uh-huh. that was two months ago. So from last month, if there's a you know an option called editor dot indent. So if you set this option to true. And you are working on a block which is not, you know, the block boundary is not brackets, right? It's def and it's kind of keywords. And you press end, you know, end, and the indentation will get adjusted immediately while you type. So we already have that. Ah. How how's that? It's a user error. (laughs) But the thing is like Isn't it always? (laughs) With me it is. So the thing is actually, um, ISA is a kind of discoverability issue, right? You know, we have uh-huh. this feature, we do release nodes, but not all of them, not all users can, you know, look at those release nodes because we have a pretty, pretty long release node. Every iteration, we have maybe um, 20 feature requests and maybe 100, you know, bug fixes, bug fixes or maybe 200. So it's not easy to discover that. But from next iteration, I'm going to make this open by default. Awesome. That's great. But uh, yeah, if you feel like sometimes if you feel VS Code is not good in, good enough, I say, yeah, maybe Ruby Mine is a good option. Yeah, that's that's how I learned Ruby, using okay. Ruby Mine, a real IDE. Yeah, so Ruby Mine is really awesome. Uh, but, you know, I found that every time I started using RubyMine, you know, whenever there's an update or a beta release, I'll go check it out again. And it's one of those things where I always find myself like, oh, crap, I need to hurry up and do something. So I'll close RubyMine and launch back up uh, Sublime Text. It just, you know, 
maybe it's my usability on RubyMine, but I just I can't really get the grasp of the full blown IDE. You know, I just like my normal text editor. But I will say that Sublime Text is my definitely preferred one. But next is VS Code. You know, I prefer VS Code over Atom or Brackets or Vim or anything else. I think it's really solid. Now, just notice a feature that is actually something that I've really been wanting from Sublime Text, but it's just kind of natively in VS Code. So whenever I do the Drift and Ruby screencasts, I record at a 1080p resolution. So I always upscale the font size within the VS Code, but the folders never get scaled up whenever I increase the font size on Sublime Text. It's just been one of those annoying issues, but VS Code does it natively. So I think I'll start, <laughs> start using that now. That's like super awesome. This is and, this this whole discussion is pretty uh, pretty interesting because I have been going on my I think twelfth year now of using Vim full time to write code, and I'm starting to see all of this. I started to see all this, you know, people gravitating towards Atom, and my impressions of Atom were that it was just a just a behemoth and it was slow and I, I every time I every time I interacted with it um, it was just it would just take too long for me to work on any of my projects and so when VS code came around I thought oh it's another JavaScript based electron based editor I have no interest in this and in the last year I've seen just this explosion of interest in it and so uh, I've been trying it out in the last couple of weeks and I can't I, I can't even put into words how impressed I am with it. So it's really kind of really kind of neat to see uh, you, to see something different for a while. And I'm I'm a little stuck in my ways, so I'm not exactly where I want to be with using it. But I just just want to give you know, give a shout out to everyone working on VS Code for producing something that's really helping people. So so thank you, Penn, for the work that you're doing. Oh, Brian, do you use any Vim, you know, plugin or emulator on VS Code? Yeah, I'm. I am looking for one you could recommend, or anyone could recommend. Really, uh, is that just the, there was one that was recommended to me when I opened it up, and I'm using that. But I'm I'm kind of trying to figure out if there's ways I can do some additional customization to it. Yeah, I have, oh, I have say, a really good recommendation for you, Brian. It's the Emacs keybinding plugin. No, it's no, awesome. we won't. We won't. We won't, <laughs> we won't be doing that. I've been do doing it. that. I love it. We won't. We won't. How, be how doing long it. did it take you to love it, Chuck? About two minutes. <laughs> oh, we won't. <laughs> Whatever. We won't. We won't be doing that. I may play piano and guitar, but I don't want to do that when I'm writing code. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Fair enough. Yeah, I haven't yeah, tried the actually, Vim I, uh, key bindings, mm -hmm. but the Emacs key bindings are excellent. And yeah, you know, there are some custom key bindings that I had pulled into my Emacs setup that. I'm not quite sure how to plug into VS Code, but all the basics are there, and they're the ones that I reach for the most anyway. And so that's the other thing that I found with VS Code that is just tremendous is the plugin infrastructure and ecosystem there. I mean, they have uh, integrations with Docker. They have integrations with several cloud providers. They've got integrations with all kinds of stuff. They've made it a priority, obviously, to integrate nicely with Azure. But, you know, if you're not into Azure, there are plugins for the other cloud providers. And so, I mean, all the way up to I have a Docker container, I want to push it out to some service that will host it. Um, a lot of that is seamless and really, really nice to have. 
So you just, it, it packages it up for you and off it runs. And it's really, really great. Yeah, actually, I want to, you know, recommend, you know, a Veeam extension for Brian, Woo-hoo. which is called VS Code Veeam. It's my second baby. So that's why I recommend it. Oh, um, excellent. excellent. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. I, I say to commit, you know, the command, you know, coverage is pretty high, even higher than some of them on other competitors. Actually, it's pretty cool. So I just my first task first task after joining VS Code team. You know, at the time I was alone in China waiting for the visa. So I'm I have eight you know hours difference from Zurich team. I have fifteen hours different from Redmond. So I'm I'm a lonely man. So I I'm working on this Vim extension uh, with the community alone. Yeah, but it's pretty good right now. Have you guys seen that? There was a I apologize. There was a video and, and VS Code is so interesting. Because VS Code actually was was brought over from a different project. It was just simply an editor. And the VS Code project itself is using um, this editor and just wrapping around, wrapping it with with the additional functionality, but like the file and uh, file pickers and, and, and the management and that kind of stuff. But there's a screencast I watched recently, I'll have to find it, where they actually walk you through creating a VS Code editor. It was fantastic. So I'll find that and share that in the notes. But have you seen that? Have you guys seen that? I haven't seen the video, but having spoken with members of the VS Code team, I know that the editor is called Monaco. Yes. Yep. Yeah, that's what I'm working on right now. You know, five years ago, um, VS Code team or Monaco team started with, you know, a browser editor, which is Monaco. And like two years ago, we tried to move that in onto desktop. Yeah, Monaco is used in a lot of the Microsoft what do you call it, documentation and things like that. And so you can do live code editing and things like that. And it's, it's really cool. It's another cool project they've got going on. So do you do most of your work on this kind of thing in TypeScript or is it some other JavaScript dialect? We are all TypeScript. But as a very beginning, we, you know, we wrote JavaScript. But later on, you know, we are one of the first adopters of TypeScript, which really helps a lot. So we moved to... I think it's 2013, you know, Monaco editor, you know, was moving to TypeScript. And right now, everything in VS Code is all TypeScript. It's a pretty good language. So how hard is, uh, so I've, I've been doing React for a while and TypeScript has always s- scared me away. <laughs> I'm trying, it's, <laughs> let's, let's make it more complicated to write what we're writing, right? And it seems a very um, uh, forward-thinking pattern where you're 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 basically adding uh type checking and correct me if i'm wrong you're adding type checking to your javascript code how 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 complicated i mean how much of a commitment would it be for somebody to say you know what i want to actually add type code to an existing project or typescript i mean first of all it's scary i have to admit it but you know the way i see it is you know the First of all, the setup of TypeScript stuff is not that easy, right? So you are writing JavaScript, you are writing ES6 with together with React, but if you want if we want to, you know, merge both TypeScript and you know React, you know, the setup is not that easy. But there are several features can help you with you know with the ramp up. First of all, if you if you are using you know Node.js application, you know Node.js packages, if they have TypeScript or typing support. You don't need to, you know, do any specific thing to make the intelligence ha- happen. So in VS Code, we have this kind of feature called automatic type acquisition. 
So let's say you, you know, create a new project which uses a, you know, express, you know, the express package. And since the express package already has a typing file for it, so while you are writing your either JavaScript or TypeScript, you can you immediately have all the intelligence, all the correct autocomplete. You know, that's what VS Code provides you. So this is one good thing you can have. And another thing is actually, you know, you don't need to worry about, you know, whether you need to expose it, the typings file to others if you are not building a library. So if we are going to build a library for others to use, maybe you should create a typings file. But if you are not going to do that, it's okay. You know, you can just write your TypeScript or JavaScript and you don't need to worry about anything. And another thing is actually, you know, TypeScript is just a superset of JavaScript. So you can start from writing, you know, plain JavaScript in your TypeScript file. And then, you know, grabbing the typings part, which is the scary part, as you described, you know, step by step, right? You don't need you don't you don't need to go to TypeScript 100 percent You can do that, you know, gradually. Interesting. So I've I've actually I can't remember what it was. I was working on a project and I think um I, I think I was modifying a, a repo, uh an open source project and it, my my editor, my VS Code editor kept yelling at me, and boy, it made me feel stupid. <laughs> I could, come to find out, I ended up like deleting the TypeScript config file just so that it would leave me alone so I could feel better about myself for, for at least a brief moment. But no, it, the, the beautiful thing about VS Code also is how much it gives you insight into your code. That is the biggest reason I switched to that versus... Uh, sublime text. It is fast when you type. The autocompletion is amazing. The um, the hints and uh, definitions of functions are are unbelievable. And integrating with something like ESLint or TypeScript, it's just it just gives you so much power. And of course, everybody likes the embedded terminal if you're working on a smaller laptop. That's kind of cool too. Now, so I got to ask you. Okay. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> I don't mean to take take all the questions, but I've been really eager to talk to, to Penn. What's left on the Ruby plugin? So where do you see it going? What do you see that's left to do? Um, the last missing part, I think, is a good language server. I'm not sure if you are you know, familiar with you know, language server, you know, the concept, but it's actually a, you know, a language smartness provider. So telling VS Code, okay, at this position, this line, this column, you know, the autocomplete, you know, the suggestion should be whatever, right? So we need something to, you know, provide this kind of info. So all the good intelligence part. However, right now in Ruby extension, we, you know, you know, Hookie QR wrote a very, not very, a simple, you know, JavaScript version of the token analyzer and try to provide good, you know, good intelligence for you. But that's not perfect. In order to make a perfect language server, you, we have to write that in Ruby because Ruby is so dynamic and you have to use some maybe meta programming, you know, technology, you know, to get all the good information. So that's the last missing part. But comparing to other existing language server like the TypeScript one or the PHP one, I think Ruby one can be the most difficult one. Yeah, because it's, it's so powerful. Is that currently being done in other editors right now? Actually, right now, no one does that. So 
the only good editor or ID who has, you know, perfect or at least the best intelligence support is actually RubyMine. So JetBrains products, they, they share the same tokenization or analyzer, you know, across all their products like PHP, Storm, PyCharm, they use the same technology so they can provide, you know, good intelligence to Ruby. But for other editors like Atom, Sublime, TextMate, or VS Code, we don't have that. So it's a it's a shame. But so it, does your does your work on VS Code translate to different editors? I know that Sublime Text I think is all what Python, but Atom is also uh, JavaScript, and I think they actually share the same core. Does your work translate to Atom as well, or do you? Are you in connection with the Ruby team on the Atom side? Oh, actually, you know, the Ruby team, you know, actually Atom has, you know, basic support for Ruby as well, like just like the vanilla VS code. But it's just about, you know, colorization, indentation, and like maybe formatters, right? But to make a good IntelliSense or good real, you know, language support, there are too much work to do. And I think it's two months ago, um, the Ruby plugin for Eclipse, you know, the maintainer reached out to me and asked me, oh, do you know whether there's a, you know, Ruby language server out there or you already have that? My answer is no, we don't have that. Right now it's like everyone is waiting for the language server for Ruby, but no one is actually doing that. But that's um, on my on my list. Dear listener. Okay. <laughs> I was just going to say, want, dear Yeah. How, so, so I'm going to ask that question. So, if we have if we have people that are interested, you know, what's the best way for them to start to start that conversation to work on that? It's kind of beyond my knowledge right now. I'm I'm not a you know um, professional Rubyist, but I know how to what kind of a Ruby language server should be. You know, it's it's actually a parser, a language parser. So. Yeah. In the Ruby source code, you know, the, the implementation of Ruby, this, this already passed there, but it's not good enough. You know, the reason for that for, you know, in ID or editors, you know, you need a error tolerant parser, right? You know, most of the time the code you are writing is actually incomplete. So if your parser cannot understand that, right? If you write a, you know, you are working on a function, the function is incomplete, you use Ruby to interpret it or you use other compiler to compile, it will just break and telling you, okay, at this position, it's incomplete, right? However, in ID or editor scenario, the compiler, the, com the compiler or parser should still hold the grammar tree, you know, the expression tree, and tell you, okay, at this position, you may want to do, you know, you may want to pop in, you know, several options, several keywords. So that's a, you know, a language server should be an error tolerant for Ruby. Interesting. Awesome. So one other thing that I've run into with uh, different editors at different times, especially like with Emacs, you know, I, I had to install a couple of different plugins and then, you know, finagle things just a little bit is if you had multiple types of languages in the same file. So for example, in a view in Rails, you have HTML, you can have JavaScript, CSS, and Ruby. Wait, JavaScript in our Rails view? What's going on there? <laughs> um, the real, Chuck, the real Chuck, world. You need, goes to, on. you need to learn about the ISF pipeline. No, the real, the real world goes on there. There are, there are times when I've had to do saying, that too. I've, I've seen it. I've done it. I'll oh. admit it. 
So, so yeah. So if you have multiple languages or modes that you have to handle within the same file, how do you set up uh, Visual Studio Code to handle that? Or does it just kind of go, oh, I've got a script tag here, so this must be JavaScript? Like, is it smart um, It has to, to be... So it has to be... So users cannot customize that. So it has to be handled by the language support extension. So one good example is actually HTML. So like in HTML, you have styles, you have script, right? So our, you know, we run, you know, we implement the HTML feature in an extension. So you can, everyone can look at it. We can share the link in the show notes. And the extension has to, you know, do tokenization and analyze, oh, right now we are writing a script block, right? And then we should invoke, you know, the language support for JavaScript whether it's a simple one like just tokenization or a powerful one like TypeScript language server, which can provide IntelliSense, we launched all the you know, language support for that language. So, and even including like code snippet and formatters. But I say it has to be you know, done by extensions. And there's already a good you know, view extension, which is doing the same way as the HTML one. You know, like in Vue.js, you know, you write every, put everything into a single file, you know, CSS, scripts, SAS, and then JavaScript, everything. So you need to do the, you know, code splitting yourself, you know, in the extension and to make that happen. So I think that's the same case for Rails or Ruby. Yeah, I think with uh, VS Code, I don't, it's probably a configuration issue. One of the things I notice is if you do have a difference between a, a HTML.erb or a JSERB, it still just renders it out. You know, it tries to just do the um, the Ruby syntax highlighting on the JSERBs. Mm-hmm. Um, there are actually two ways to do that. It's the first one, maybe it's a it's a bug, you know, of my Ruby extension or the Ruby extension in VS Code. We should add this file extension, you know, to for the you know market as it's it's Ruby, right? Tell the extension is Ruby. And the second way is, you know, on the right button, you know, you, there's a, you know, a button there, which tells you what kind of language it is. If you click on that, you can, you know, change the language for this file temporarily. You can change it to Ruby directly. Yeah. Do you hate wasting hours debugging code every week when you should be working on your app? You should check out our new sponsor, Airbrake.io, a full stack error monitoring tool that alerts you to errors in your software, then helps you diagnose and fix them. That means no more wasted time searching log files and more time writing and shipping great code. Airbrake supports .NET and all major programming languages. Get set up at getairbrake.com CB for a free 30-day trial and the chance to win a $500 Amazon gift card at the end of the month. It's a completely free trial and you'll be shocked by how much time it saves you. Again, that's airbrake.com CB. Again, that's getairbrake.com CB. All right, I got a question for you. This is a hard one. Oh, yeah. What is the font that you use in VS Code? I think it's Source Code Pro. Yeah, really? it has it. Yeah, it's got good, you know, lectures, and it's good for reading. Very good. All right. That's, that was the hardest question I had for you. <laughs> so if people want to uh, jump in and give this a try, what, what are the best ways for them to do that? I, I'm assuming you go to code.visualstudio.com and download it, and then what? Yeah, and then when you, you know, install, you know, VS Code, there's a welcome page. You know, it has, it tells you how to, you know, ramp up with our editor, how to use the command palette, even though like people from 
Sublime or Atom, they already know the command palette, right? And then you can play with our JSA interactive editor in that welcome page. It's called maybe interactive playground. You can play with our code snippet formatters and auto indent in that welcome page, actually. So that's the best place for you to, you know, get familiar with VS Code. And we do, you know, on that welcome page, we do have several links. One of them is VS Code tips and tricks. So it's a it's a Twitter link, and you can see all the you know tips and tricks shared by the team and the community. And we do have we do even have a YouTube you know channel for you to listen, subscribe to. You know you can see how the team shared how to you know make VS Code a real productive editor for you. Nice, that's really cool. Um, if if let's say we have a listener out here who's working on you know working on a really esoteric language and there's no support you know there's no support for their language yet in vs code where where would they where would you recommend that they go to to kind of follow in your footsteps to to start writing their own extension their own plugin where should, where would they start and um, we have a you know on docs you know in on code we have a docs session and it tells you you know how to write extensions for VS Code. Now that's, uh, easy, that's an easy answer, right? We have a good documentation for how to write formatters and linters. But I say, if you, you know, I think if we are going to build a debugger, I think that's, that's uh, one of the most difficult one, right? You need to hook up, you know, a real debugger with, you know, the VS Code. So you need to get an understanding how real debuggers work. So I suggest look at some of the existing debuggers, like our Ruby one, right? In, you can, from the Ruby one, you can have understanding how the debugging protocol works, how VS Code and the debugger communicate with each other. Yeah, but that's my way. I, when I learn new things, I always, you know, want to um, read source code instead of reading, you know, um, grammar or books. Yeah, I, and I was that, that's one of one of the things I was going to ask you was, you know, what was the extension that you used as a model when you were writing the Ruby one? What did you use as your as your model? Oh, I used my Ruby extension and several Rails um, snippets. Yeah, that's all I have. Otherwise, I I sometimes I used to use um, Ruby mine for the first thirty days because it has the free trial. But later oh, sure, on, I, sure. What I, what I mean, what I mean is, as you were as you were writing the Ruby extension for Visual Studio Code, did, was there some was there another extension that you used as a model that you could recommend people look at? Oh yeah, sorry, I didn't you know get that question. Yeah, at the beginning we only have maybe three or four you know debuggers like the PHP one and the Python one. And the, first of all, I look into the Python one, but the Python one is actually different. It's using the you know Python library, you know from Visual Studio. So it's a shared library between VS Code and Visual Studio right now. You can have the same functionality, but it's not for, for, for me. So, and then I switched to the PHP one and I found the PHP one is actually pretty similar to our Ruby, you know, extension. The thing is for, for PHP, there's a PHP debug, which is similar to the underlying gem package I'm using, which is called Ruby debug IDE. You know, that one is maybe PHP debug IDE or whatever. You know, the protocol is similar. They are using um, sockets to talk to each other. So that's how I learned how to make a Ruby extension. Very cool. Mm -hmm. 
Hey, I have a question. One of the things that I love about Sublime Text, and I don't know who wrote it. I, I should give them credit, but there's a there's a plugin called Ruby Test, and it's a super clean plugin where I can put my cursor anywhere on my test file, whether it be R spec, mini test, whatever it might be, and hit Command Shift R, and it'll run that single test and dump it into the console of the terminal. Or I can do Command Shift E and run every file or every test and in that file. Is that something that VS Code could support? And is that, do you know of anything that does that in there? Yeah, we can do that. It's a good feature request, actually. Do you want to find, you know, send me a pull request for that? Actually, <laughs> I will, I will, I will, I'll create an issue. <laughs> it's actually, I would you love know, to help. I don't know if I'm <laughs> capable. It's doable. You know, like for the Go um, extension, we already support that. So from the VS Code side, it's doable. And we can even add code lines to, you know, each test, you know, adding a some buttons or text before each test. And then you can click on it, you know, run this test or run the whole test in the file. Yeah, from the UI side, it's doable. Yeah, if Sublime can support that, we can do that as well. You, sir, are a visionary. Uh, I like the way <laughs> you're thinking about that. I'll, I'll create the issue on that. Oh, thank I appreciate you. it. Thanks. So if people want to contribute, is there a GitHub repository they can go look at then? Oh, yeah, it's called the organi- organization name is Ruby IDE. And yeah, the repo name is VS Code Ruby. Yeah. And then we have a wiki page for that to tell you how to set up everything, tell you the concept between behind the debugger, behind the formatters and linters. Yeah. Awesome. How long did it take you to get the plugin? to the point where it was publicly usable, where you felt like, you know what, I, I, I like this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this out there for everybody to use. Uh-huh. How, how long did that take? A couple hours. Really? You know, I was, you know, I, at that time I was with you know, parents of my girlfriend, you know, right now my wife. You know, I didn't get anything to do. So, yeah, I just, you know, pick up my laptop and look, I look at the sample debugger from the documentation site. And then, yeah couple hours I reached out to the 0.1 version you know you know before that I was using RubyMine right I was using RubyMine to learn Ruby and I'm you know reading the source code of Jekyll you know the you know the engine behind GitHub page you know that's how I learned Ruby but after 30 days free trial you know the 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 license expired so I either have to you know pay $200 per year you know to JetBrains or I have to switch to other editors or command lines, right? So, so I was thinking, yeah, maybe what if I can use VS Code to debug, you know, the you know, Ruby code? And then I searched online and I found there's a very, you know, popular gem package, which is called Ruby Debug IDE. And its description is pretty interesting. It's saying it's an interface, you know, between Ruby debug, you know, the built-in debugger, and IDE is like, Eclipse, NetBeans, and RubyMine. So I was like, are you kidding me? You no, know, the package is just you know released by the JetBrains teams. You know, those genius, they open source what they, you know, what they use to make the debugging happen in RubyMine. So I just pick up this thing and write a debug adapter and make them talk to VS Code. So that's just a couple of hours. That's the benefit of open source, I suppose. So <laughs> let me let me just tell you what I just heard. <laughs> so you're telling me you're at your girlfriend's house, 
that with her parents and you're bored. So you decide in two hours to write something that's now used by over 200,000 people. Oh, it, that's amazing. It's true, but yeah, that's how I learn things. And yeah, I think a lot of products are built this way, right? Wow. You left out. You left out the part where he got where he got a job working on VS Code as a result, right? Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's my. You know, <laughs> I know that VS Code is hiring at that time. So and you know, since at that time, there's only quite a few, only a few you know debuggers out there. So the team members who is working on the debugging debugger side on VS Code, every time they made a, you know an update to the debugging protocol, they will send out you know notifications to us. You know, they will ping me, ping, you know, the also PHP debug or Go debugger. And yeah, that's how I know them. And then I have a talk with, you know, my current current manager. And he is a Ruby programmer. He asked quite a few tough Ruby questions and I can answer them. But somehow, yeah, he thinks I'm a good candidate. So what would you say to the listeners who are thinking, you know, I I I never tried VS Code. I've tried it, and it was a little weird. And and I'm, I'm I really like my ID. What's your biggest sales pitch for VS Code over Atom or Sublime or something like that? So comparing to some of the competitors, we are fast, right? And to some, not some other competitors, I say you know the most you know the best part of VS Code is we are open source. We open everything, you know. On GitHub, so all our issues are on GitHub. Our you know user feedback, we put that on GitHub. Our planning, we have you know a label called iteration plan. Everyone can look at that. You know every iteration, you know the beginning of every iteration and the end of the iteration, we are put a you know a plan issue. We are put a end game issue which covers all the testing we need we want to do. And if you follow us, you will know every, what kind of things we are working on. You won't be surprised, you know, if, you know, we are building some magic feature you don't know or whether we are going to break something. It's all there. I think that's the best thing, you know. We put everything open to our users. And everyone, if you have, you know, if you are not satisfied with VS Code, you, are, you still love, you know, one feature of your IDE, you can fire, fire an issue to us and we will respond immediately. I love it. There's one other thing I'm going to add. Uh, having been having shared the same bed with so many editors, the uh, VS Code is, I think, the perfect marriage between a true full-out IDE like RubyMine and a simplistic, modifiable editor like Sublime. I think it's somewhere in between. Now, if you like RubyMine but don't like how slow it might be or how sometimes it doesn't quite work like you want it to, but you're you're wanting more power than just a typical editor. I think VS Code fits exactly in that niche. Plus, yeah. it's a killer JavaScript editor. Oh my yeah. gosh, it's good. Now, I know a few people who listen to this show also use systems like, I don't know, Elixir or Elm. Brian, help me out. Anything I missed? You know, so do you know if there are plugins for those languages? Oh yeah, I know you asked the same question to Eric in JS Jabber. But uh, sorry, I don't know. Yeah, maybe oh. this one. Yeah, there's an Elm plugin for sure. I know that because I'm, I'm. So that's the one I'm using to to play around with Vision uh, with VS Code is is doing some Elm with it. Nice. And and in a couple hours, Penn will have the Elixir one out. I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> Go back to the group. Actually, right? every Elixir developer I know, every Elixir developer I know around here uh, uses VS Code. That's the uh, that is the de facto editor for for Elixir around here. Oh, nice. Yep. All right. Well, any other questions or topics that we should dive into before we start wrapping up? I will take the silence as a nope. I got nothing else. <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Do you ever have issues crop up in production that you don't see in development? Do you even know how your app is performing in production? Performance, errors, and analytics to figure out where your app is bogging down are important to keep an eye on. You could try one of those error tracking apps, but why not use a tool that does it all? Try Datadog. Datadog tracks performance, collects data on your errors, and provides you with the information you need to improve your user's experience and fix bugs without having to log into the production server and dig through the logs. What if my app spans across multiple servers and services, you ask? Datadog seamlessly collects metrics from every corner of your application, including services like Amazon AWS and systems like Redis. So whether you want a clear view into your application's performance, need to be notified of new errors, or to keep track of your application across various services you use, use Datadog. If you go to devchat.tv Datadog and start a free trial, they'll send you a free Datadog t-shirt. Dave, you want to start us off with picks? Dang it, why do you always pick me first? <laughs> Never had time to come up with some. <laughs> I, I think uh, Skype puts you in the top left corner, and that's where I start. <laughs> so I guess I'll jump on the Microsoft bandwagon here, and I will pick Azure's Cognitive Services. My aunt from Japan's coming to town to visit soon, and she does not speak any English, and I do not speak any Japanese. So I wrote a quick and dirty Ruby on Rails app using Action Cable to create a chat room, and I tied it into the Azure Cognitive Services. So whenever she types in Japanese on my screen, it translates it into English, and on her side, anything I type in English gets translated to Japanese. So we can sort of try to talk to each other while she's here. Awesome. That, that's a cool application of, of that technology. Brian, what are your picks? I only have one this week, and it's a it's it's one that I I've picked before, but it's front of mind because I find myself right now in a in a spot where I'm doing a lot of different things all at once, and kind of getting that anxiety and stress and pressure that goes along with it. My lifeline in situations like that is an app for iOS and macOS called OmniFocus, and it it's it's it looks like a very complex to do list, but you can customize it to fit different contexts and contexts and processes and things like that. And so one of the things that's fantastic about it is that you can divide your projects up into contexts and the contexts are things like, okay, this is, this is stuff I have to do around the house. And this is stuff I have to do for this job. This is other things that I want to do for this side project. And when it's time to work on those things, you can just, focus on that one context and you don't see all the other things that you have to do. Uh, and that's, that's what makes it really, really handy. It can, on iOS, it can integrate with a calendar too. So at a glance, I can see here's what's going on today. Here are the things that I've said that I'm going to have done by today. Uh, here are the uh, meetings that I have. And it's just, it's just really nice to give me that, that day at a glance. Um, but it, it keeps me sane and it keeps me on top of the things that I have to do. So it's OmniFocus and it's a little pricey but it's paid for itself many, many times for me. Awesome. Eric, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, I do. Uh, I've got three. Um, two of them are in the same ballpark. Uh, I recently started up a company 
with a friend and we went through the whole landing page. So I've realized about myself, if you want to have, if you want to waste as much time as possible, get two senior architect engineers together and say, build a landing page. And they will argue (laughs) for four days on what technology to use. And that's literally what happened. It was just insane. And at the end of the day, we're like, man, we're stupid. So we ended up using a Hugo, Hugo CMS. Absolutely incredible. If you want to create a quick landing page that gives you a lot of, not just landing page, but a blog, it's like Octopress. It's like the new Octopress, but it really gives you tons of free templates. It lets you do the, the scaffolding and templates correctly. It does it really well where you can swap templates in and out. Beautiful. Then there's a couple of places where we could host it. The one we ended up on is Netlify. Netlify is a super inexpensive hosting platform that you can just launch. It'll tie directly to your GitHub. You can tell it what branch to use, what command you want it to run when it launches, and you can set environment variables, all that stuff. And it's and right now we're not even paying for it. It's just an incredibly great service. And finally, about this company that, that I'm part of, Code Sponsor. Code Sponsor is my project of passion. Uh, we are trying to help sustain open source code. And the way we're doing so is we are connecting sponsors with open source projects. So if you are an open source code developer and you would like to be paid anonymously by sponsors, this is a way to do it. And uh, yeah, that's what I got. Awesome. There's so much I could say about that, but definitely go check out Code Sponsor. Codesponsor.io. Yep. Terrific uh, idea and just kind of a, I don't know, it it kind of divorces the, I have a corporate sponsor from, I have a corporate influencer. And that's one thing that I really like about it. So I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. So last weekend, I had to build a set of stairs for my dad because he has trouble getting in and out of his house. And so my father-in-law and I went over there. Anyway, it it was really, really interesting. I may have picked the tools that I used last week. But uh, anyway, I'm just going to throw out there, I've I've been rather burned out lately just uh, from some of the things that I'm trying to juggle all at the same time. So just going out and and having a project that's not code, you know, or at least, you know, isn't all code. So you could do like hardware if you wanted to with uh, Raspberry Pi or build a 3D printer or you know, anything like that. For me, a lot of times it's working on my car or building something with wood. (laughs) So anyway, um, I'm going to pick just kind of real world projects that way. I'm also going to quickly shout out, this is something that I use periodically and I've been really happy with. The outcomes I'm getting so far is Upwork. Um, So for the podcast show notes and things like that, I hired some folks off of Upwork to help me get the show notes done. The editor for the show is a super great guy, but I didn't find him on Upwork. He was actually a referral, and I've been really happy with his work. Anyway, they have been super solid with getting this stuff out. They, We, we were behind for a little while. That was partially uh, due to the people I had editing the shows before this current group of people. Um, I hired a company. They didn't work out. I hired another company. They didn't work out. So then I just hired some people directly, and they are finally getting us all the way caught up. So anyway, I'm just, I'm really happy with that. So if you're looking for some quality workers, sometimes you have to go through a few people before you find them, but they are on there on Upwork, Upwork.com. Penn, do you have some picks for us? Oh yeah, I have two. Um, the first one is a paper from Rob Pike, uh, which is called 
the text editor Sam. You know, Sam is a you know interactive text editor created by him, and this paper is about how Sam is designed and how that's implemented. And this paper was written 30 years ago. And so if you are not, you know, satisfied with any existing editor or IDE like VS Code, you don't like it, you can read this paper and grasp an idea of where to start, you know, and it's a good practice for, you know, learning Ruby as well. Like, you know, the founding member of Atom editor, Nelson, Nelson Sobo, before he built Atom, he was about to build a text editor himself. And he started with a grammar parsing engine, which is called Treetop, and that's written in Ruby. But somehow later on, he was convinced to write editors in JavaScript. But I think we should go, still go in this way, write things in Ruby and write an editor. And the second one is I need to give a big shout out to Ruby Weekly. You know, Ruby fans may already familiar with it, but you know, my first, very first users were from Ruby Weekly. You know, after I built my first version of you know um, my Ruby extension. I reached out to you know Peter Cooper and asked him if he can recommend my Ruby extension, and he did that real quick. So thank you to Ruby Weekly, and that's a good you know Ruby email list for articles and news. Yeah, that's me. Awesome, I love Peter to death. He's so awesome, and he's he's one of the original members of the Ruby Rogues panel. So oh yeah, that sultry British sound. That's right. You miss it so much. You, you and him, you guys have like the opposite of voices. He's like so pleasant to listen to. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> so, Penn, if people want to follow you on Twitter or GitHub or see what you're working on these days, what should they do? Oh, you can just search Rebonics. Yeah, that's always me. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, thank you all for coming, and we will catch everyone next week. Thanks, guys. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.